to Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org, and today I am joined by the Economic Ninja. What's up, man? Man, I'm ready to crush it with you, dude. Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> All right, we're jumping right into it, brother. There is so much in the world of economics to be talking about today, man. Right off the top, we've got uh, warning signs that are being flashed left and right, uh, just up on American Partisan. I put it up just a little bit ago. Wells Fargo is beginning to lay off a bunch of people from their housing lending division. What do you make yeah. of that? Yeah, so I've been covering this uh, story for quite some time. I started the YouTube channel only about a year and a half ago, and I actually called the top of the real estate market last July, where got a lot of hate for it, um, especially from real estate agents. But then a lot of people laughed because they said, Ninja, you're wrong because housing prices are going up and the market's crazy. I said, no, you, what you don't understand is that velocity has stopped and um, people cannot afford. And I actually said this last spring when uh, we were talking about the top of the lumber market and I said, it's going to crash because by the fall, people are going to care more about the price of gas and the price of food. And so um, that happened. And the same thing happened in real estate. People simply did not have enough money to not only sell their house and move across the street to buy something bigger, they didn't have enough money to uh, move across the street and buy the same thing. And uh, in December, it really started to ramp up where interest rates just exploded starting in December. And we've never seen an explosion in real estate uh, interest rates like this mortgage rates. And what's happening is Wells Fargo, like many other lenders, you're gonna see all over the news the next 30 to 60 days are gonna be laying off people in droves because literally in the last 60 days, refinances have stopped. Uh, there's just no business. And so uh, the mortgage industry is a very flux. It's a very fluid and dynamic type of industry where you can get laid off and rehired very easily through these different cycles. We've seen it before, but this one is just a lot bigger. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that assessment. It, it's, it's looking pretty rough. Um, of course, this this isn't by accident, and this is not really hitting us out of the blue either. A lot of people have been paying attention to building material prices that have been skyrocketing. How does this parallel to 2008 and the lead up to 2008? Well, what's exciting is, you know, to talk about 2008, we also have to talk about the late 70s because the late 70s is, is, a, is a more cleaner uh, version of what we're seeing right now where we saw – uh, the run-up of essentially money printing started in the early 70s when we went off the gold standard officially, right? Finally, even though it was a very small gold standard, we started uh, printing money at a little bit more of a rapid pace. We saw fuel embargoes and the fuel crisis of the mid to late 70s. Then we saw inflation really start to pick up. Um, 
And that is, is cleaner and a better version of what we're going through now. However, now I, I want to say, it, I'm not joking. It's 10 times worse. And most people don't understand it. They just read, they just, life happens at the, you know, whatever they read that day in the headlines. That's, that's where their life is. But people like myself and others can see things ahead of time because, you know, when we see how much money's printed, we see um, eventually it's going to lead to go from Wall Street to Main Street and it's going to show up in higher prices, right? Um, we know how much worse it's going to be. Now, when we talk about 2008, the one parallel we can talk about is the housing uh, price explosion, right? And that is exactly mirroring what's happening now, but again, yet it's bigger. And when I say that, I mean, um, in 2006, uh, as prices and inflation started to increase, but nowhere near what we have right now, what you saw is uh, buyers... Uh, still were vying for homes. And those were the newer buyers, the, the first time home buyers that really didn't know a lot about investing in real estate or real estate cycles. They weren't real estate professionals. They get, you know, they read one book or they hear from their neighbor that the houses are exploding. You better buy now before, you know, you can't. And as interest rates started to rise back then in 2005, 2006, people started to panic into the market. But what had happened is just like today, inventory had collapsed. Uh, you know, people could not sell their home and buy another one because interest rates were going up. So we're seeing that exact same parallel now. However, this time is so much worse because you literally have price inflation exploding all over the board. And not only just in this country, like we saw in 2008, the Lehman crisis, it's happening all over the world at the same time. This is to say there's never been a time like this in history is an understatement. We have never seen the world's economies, currencies fail. I mean, and you know they're failing because all over the world we have inflation all across the board. So it's really interesting. You can draw parallels from 2008. You can also draw parallels from the 1970s and 1980s, early 80s, but you cannot say that this time is like those. It's actually much worse. Definitely the warning signs are there. Um, I, I agree 100%. And what do you make of the Evergrande collapse? And how how is that? Because that, that's very fresh in, in a lot of people in the economic world's minds. And I don't think necessarily that we've seen even the beginning of, of the fallout from that. I mean, I, I, I've said from the very beginning, a few other guys have, that, that this was uh, quite possibly Lehman Brothers on steroids. How is, is that collapse going to impact, say, BlackRock, uh, BlackRock being, being one of the, the more uh, critical ones, I think, because economically, we've kind of put all our eggs in one basket. Yeah, so um, that's a great question. So first off, on my channel in uh, June and July, I started covering what is known as CMBS. Now, going back to 2008, all we heard about was mortgage-backed securities, or MBS is the acronym for it. And that is what those derivatives led to, uh, eventually led to the collapse of Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, and many other uh, banks, right? Uh, especially mortgage brokers. There were companies like Court Countrywide that are now non-existent because of mortgage-backed securities. The commercial mortgage-backed security market is so frightening and it is so much, what's going on there is so much worse than what happened in 06 to 08 with mortgage-backed securities. It's, it's like 
MBS is on steroids. As a matter of fact, there's an open whistleblower case right now about commercial mortgage-backed securities and how uh, how so many of them have been falsified. You know, the the money, the the tenants, the leases that are signed, they're not what they are putting on paper, all right? They have falsified many documents. And I started covering this in, in June and July. And then by August, I came out with, I said, I thought by January, everyone would know the term CMBS because I thought it would be just it would be just like Lehman, but uh, it wasn't. I was wrong about the timing. And in August was the first video I did about Evergrande. And I started covering that story prior to you seeing it in the mainstream media. And I covered it all throughout that entire time. And to my dismay, or uh, I, I was just completely blown away that, that nobody realized how big of a deal it was. And it is absolutely massive. And so what you're seeing is I called that Evergrande is the Bear Stearns moment, and we have yet to see the Lehman Brothers moment. You know, when Bear Stearns collapsed, I had I'd already been through the dot-com crash. I sold all my stocks before the crash and bought bonds. Just crushed it. I did, it did great. Not because I made a ton of money, but I kept my purchasing powers. Everybody else's was losing value, right? And in 2006, I had built up a real estate portfolio. I liquidated by mid-06 all of my real estate. And it's not like I completely crushed it. I preserved, once again, my purchasing power for that cycle. Well, now, um, when I watched uh, Bear Stearns go in real time, I was screaming for the hills because I'd already sold all my portfolio. I'd have kept only three properties. And I was telling all my friends, family, colleagues, like, run for the hills. This is insane. And nobody saw it in real time. Yet, six months later, here we have the Lehman Brothers moment, right? And then it wasn't till for another six months after that that half my friends lost their jobs because they were in the construction business, right? Because faith and confidence in the markets had been lost. So people retracted and a lot of money was lost, right? I believe right now what you're seeing with the CMBS market in Evergrande, it is literally the Bear Stearns moment. And what's happening right now is we are seeing multiple uh, companies, real estate corporations in not only China, but in America being affected right now in front of you. They are losing billions of dollars and they are starting to um, trigger those insurance payouts. And I believe you're about to see, and I believe it's going to happen as soon as the fall. Um, but I'd be shocked if we were in 2023 and this not be completely collapsing. We're going to have that Lehman Brothers moment. Which bank? I don't know. But we can already see that BlackRock and Blackstone are already seeing massive failures. I want to say Blackstone was the company that just had to hand back a flagship property in lower Manhattan. They had to take a 50% haircut. And I want people to understand this. They literally gave the property back to the lender. And that's probably shocking a lot of people. Like, well, why would they borrow? They are leveraged just as bad as anyone else. Even though they're the big bad boys on the block, I'm telling you, they are going to fall. And, and I know a lot of people disagree with me, but the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Pride comes before a fall. And I'm calling that I think that we're going to see a day or BlackRock or Blackstone, one of them, is going to cease to exist, or there's going to be a failure that the government has to bail them out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's we're we're definitely hearing the early signs again of the whole too big to fail. You know, we, we can't allow these economic sectors to fail because our entire economy will fail. Quantitative easing is you know, never really stopped. The COVID payouts uh, were part of that. The velocity factor of money is coming back into play. And, and really um, taking all this into account and you, and you saying you're not really sure which one of these 
are are gonna be uh you know the the big one to fall and worst case scenario it it might even be both of them what do you foresee being the the fallout to the banking industry well you got a couple things so velocity is massive when when people stop borrowing money then interest payments are not coming in at a normal rate, right? And as banks grow and grow, they need more money to grow, right? They need more monthly income to be able to go back to the Fed and say, hey, I want more money because of the fractional reserve lending or the fractional lending program, right? Um, the fractional banking system. My thing is, is that in 2006, I was calling it the perfect storm as interest rates were rising we also had barrels of oil rising in price slowly but surely, right? By June of 2008, we had 100 and I think $38 for a barrel of oil. I called it the perfect storm because you had fuel, which is a psychological uh, effect on people. Um, and then interest rates, which is a monthly effect on, on people's incomes, right? Um, as mortgage rates go up, other rates go up because the Fed's raising their rates. So credit card debt goes higher, uh, car uh, payments get more expensive, things like that, right? And that was the perfect storm to me. Today, we have it way worse. We not only have rising fuel prices and rising interest rates now, but we have inflation. And in the, this inflation is affecting everybody, every single thing, whether you want to blame it on a supply chain crash collapse or you want to, um, or massive demand. Uh, there's a myriad of reasons why you can say that we have inflation, right? Or out of control money printing, right? Um, we do have more money hitting the normal person right now, the everyday, you know, uh, uh, married couple or single uh, person right now because they had all those stimulus checks, right? We saw short-term inflation. There's so many different reasons we could point to and say, oh, that's the reason for inflation. That's the reason. The problem is now, as compared to 2006, we have multiple factors hitting us at once, not just two. We have at least three, inflation or across the board, including food. We have interest rates rising and we've got fuel rising. So that is, that is really going to hit the psychology of the average person. And what happens is they get scared or they get a gut feeling and they regress in their spending. That is what is going to kill the banks. When you start to regress in your spending and you start to save more or you get scared, the bank's velocity starts to slow down and that's when they start to lose. And in Wells Fargo's case, like you, you were early pointing, earlier pointing out, they are having to lay people off and it is like, it's like a light switch went off. Like literally you just turned it off. And we just saw that with the freight numbers. The freight index dropped 26% in the last 30 days, month over month. And that is supposed to be a seasonally very strong time for shipping. So what is that telling us? Well, that's telling us one thing is that people are buying less things. There's less shipments going back and forth in the country. That is the first sign of a deflationary crash. And so I think like literally this podcast is at an incredibly important time point right now because you are seeing things happen literally day by day snapping off. And it, it's crazy. I can't imagine where we're going to be 30 days from now. What, what do you think the impact to local banks are going to going to be because I've long advocated dealing exclusively with locally based banks. And I know in, in, you know, in the big scheme of things, the big picture, that's not necessarily true in all cases, even though, you know, you, you have a, a small local banking company, they're usually overwritten by somebody else. And you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, how do you, how do you see this affecting, 
you know, the, the main street bank, the, the bank that maybe has two or three branches is locally based and, and kind of serves customers in only one community. So the one thing I hate about banking is the, the whole term too big to fail is very true because these large super banks have gotten so big that if they start to falter, the government has no choice. They are going to come in and, and prop them up somehow. Uh, and that's horrible. We should let businesses that are doing horrible business fail. That's what we should do, right? But we're in a world that that doesn't exist anymore. Now, the sad thing on the flip side, the smaller banks, they can let them fail. They just let them go bye-bye. Um, a lot of people are under the delusion that the FDIC will cover all of your deposits. That is absolutely not true. It's only for specific banking accounts, right? Say, uh, primarily, you know, because under Clinton, uh, banks were sort of, they were reclassified as financial institutions. And so uh, FDIC doesn't cover every single bank, right? However, during a crisis like 2008, you saw them come out and say, hey, we're going to we're gonna front run it or we're going to backstop it. Or we're going to take care of it, right? The FDIC is good. Well, the FDIC did not have enough money in 2008. And it was evident because the government had to go and borrow more money to make sure that it was all good. Like the, the financial institutions were good and whole. Um, we have already seen after Dodd-Frank, something called a bail-in, a bail-in. Instead of bailouts that you saw in 2007, you saw a bail-in. And uh, all over the world, governments have taken on this new rule. I can't even say it's a law, it's a rule. And essentially, if a financial institution fails, they have the ability to go into depositors' accounts and make themselves whole because you are now an unsecured creditor of that institution. So what I tell people is this, and we've already seen it happen in Greece and in Cyprus, all right? And a couple of banks failed, they did a bail-in, they took a certain percentage of depositors' monies and funds, and they, and they literally, and they didn't just steal it, they go, oh, we're gonna give you stock in this crappy bank. And so it goes very unreported or underreported, but the facts are these rules are now out there for everybody. So what I tell people is, the smaller banks can fail and you could have a bail-in situation. So one thing you do is diversify. Not all banks are going to fail, right? Not all banks make bad decisions. There are great small banks that are ran by a local board of um, directors and they do business in their community. Like where I live, I still live in a pretty small area, uh, a rural area in California, and we do hometown banking. So I have my bank set up. I have multiple banks, large regionals, um, I have massive, you know, national uh, banks. I also have very small banks. I have credit unions. Uh, I literally have probably seven banks right now with multiple different types of accounts so that I'm prepared for those kind of scenarios. And I, I just split up my lives because I, I own multiple businesses as well. So I have my, my companies and my banking compartmentalized. So, so I, I help myself with that risk there. Well, that's both good news and bad news. Um, but that, that's a perfect lead in to the next question because a lot Wait, of Can people... I jump in real quick? Can oh, I... go ahead. Actually, it's 100% good news. Let me tell you why. Let's say you do exactly what I said and you go out and you diversify your money. And, but one of those or two of those banks has a bail-in or they, you lose your money, right? Well, here's the facts. You just go, oh my gosh, I just took like a 20% net worth haircut. This is horrible. The world is... Mount melting down. Or let's say I bought a house and I own it cash, but it went from a million dollars to 500,000. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. This is why this is everything I'm telling you is 100% good news. Because if you heed these warnings and you prepare your financial house now, and let's say you lose 20% of your cash in your banks or 50% of your real estate, here's the great news about this. If you lost it, everybody not only lost it the same, 
they probably lost on a greater percentage and everyone else is losing their minds. And if you can get past that thought of, oh, I just lost 50% of my net worth in my, in my home, let's say, right? Well, since everything else collapsed, you go, well, I still have 50% purchasing power. So I can now borrow against that and I could turn around and go buy these other properties where people were leveraged to the nine, lost it to the bank, and I can come out of this next crash literally owning 10 times the real estate. So who cares that I lost a certain dollar amount in my mind? I just 10 X my net worth because everyone else lost their mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. That you, you actually, you answered part of my follow on question. Um, what would be your strategy? It, you know, uh, piggybacking off of that, that uh, concept what would be your strategy right now for people to protect their money? Yeah. So, you know, I, I like to do what the wealthy people do, right? Wealthy people own essentially uh, real assets. And if, if you want to know what a real asset is, it's essentially anything that God made, right? And, and you got to look at it that way, regardless if you believe in God or not, like what is attached to the earth, right? Wealthy people own land, they own water, they own oil, they own gold and silver. Um, now people are buying wealthy people own physical Bitcoin. When, I mean, when I say physical, like you own it, you have it on your own wallet, not on some exchange that can steal it from you or seize it. Um, that is what the wealthy people do. Like uh, it's been in the news. Bill Gates is pretty much, I think, completely liquidated now and out of the stock market. You're seeing, because they have to tell you, because they're such a, a large owner in certain companies, they have to disclose these things, right? Wealthy people are liquidating in mass. And they've been doing that for the last couple of years. And what's crazy is wealthy people do not care if the stock market goes up another 20%. A poor person or a person that thinks they're a baller, they're like, you're an idiot. Like, I'll give you an example. I sold my house in 2018 because I knew the banks were fighting. They were arguing. And by mid-2018, I sold my house. I went and bought silver and Bitcoin, right? Went and had the silver stored, uh, vaulted. I had the Bitcoin uh, set up and, and away, right? In my own wallets. I got mocked for a couple of years. Like I was the biggest idiot in the world. Because first off, I'm a real estate agent. Also, I've owned two brokerages, right? Um, even my real estate agents I worked with at an agency didn't know I owned brokerages. So it's fun to, to you know, when people perceive you at, because they, they judge you by how you look or what you drive and all that stuff, but you know the backside of it. It's fun to watch this mocking go on. And so um, all the time, you know, for two years, you're mocked. Hey, you sold your house. You're an idiot. You could have made 25, 30% more. And I said, well, I bit, bought Bitcoin, you know, in uh, August of 2018. So, and they would go, well, you're even bigger than an idiot. I'm like, okay. And I, and I just sit back and I just go, okay, I, I think I'm just listening to fools. And, um, and so the Bitcoin went from, I was buying it from what, 32 to $7,000 of Bitcoin. They're sitting at, I think, what, 40 grand right now, right? So, but all people could think of is your house. You know, you just lost 30% of your house. They can't even grasp what I just did. Well, by 2019, those banks, they were collapsing and our interbank lending rate spiked to 12%. And try, I'm sorry, I'm going to get the answer here. Um, my point being is this, I diversified, right? Now we had a melt up because of something that happened in this world with the whole uh, pandemic and the shutdown that has never happened uh, uh, since 1918 when a flu took over the world and uh, we were able to print a ton of money, go through the roaring twenties. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And so, oh, so yeah. this, this isn't new. This is not new. It led to the depression of 1920. And it was funny on my channel, I did videos about the depression of 1920 and people would get on and go, Hey Ninja, sorry. It, it, the depression was in the thirties. And I go, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the depression of 1920 and people don't get that. 
And I said, and I, many people didn't know that there was a depression before the Great Depression. And the only reason the Great Depression happened is because of a, a period of time where a monetary policy was loosened and an explosion in credit, an expansion in credit. And that led to this crash. So now to answer the question, and I apologize, I totally digress. Diversification is absolutely key. And all the time I see people, they go, well, what should I do? Should I sell my stocks? And I go, well, I'm not a financial advisor or financial you know, professional. I'm just, you know, I'm a dude that made his first million when he was 25. You know, that's, that's just me. I don't, I don't have a college degree. I can't spell, can't read, write, do math. I can barely pronounce C8 words. I didn't even pronounce, I didn't even say that word probably right. My point being is this, <laughs> diversify, right? I'm a complete right. idiot, but right. I'm a, I, I made money. <laughs> so my point being is I said, diversify. And that's the one key. And people go, well, should I sell my stocks? I'm like, well, let me ask you a question. Do you think the stock market's topping? They said, yes. And then why are you asking me? But most people don't have the confidence in their own gut. And I said, well, then what are your assets? They go, well, 90% uh, of it's in the stock market. And I go, that's absolutely insane. That is crazy. Or they go, well, I own five homes, you know, and um, no stocks. I'm like, that's absolutely crazy. Why wouldn't you just simply diversify? And then when one bag explodes in value and one collapses, but you go, well, I still believe in that one bag that collapsed. We'll take some from the bag that exploded and put it into that one. And it's like a light bulb goes off in people's head. Because the financial institutions have deceived you and tricked you and lied to you for a century that, hey, this is really complicated. Leave it up to us. Give us your money. We'll give you a pittance of interest. It's a joke. And then we're going to go and, and go party on our yacht with your money. And that is what's absolutely horrible. People need financial uh, education right now because you are literally going through something that I believe is going to snap as fast and harder than the Great Depression. It's going to snap back faster, but it is going to hurt for a couple of years. Yeah, I agree. I agree that the stage has been set. Now, something that you brought up, which, you know, the, the, for the Radio Contra audience, I have a lot of uh, listeners. I have a lot of folks uh, who come and train in class uh, who, who are millennials and uh, we'll say older generation Z as well. Like they, they just got out of college. A lot of them are young folks. They're, they're just starting out. And one thing that's very common about all of them is that they have a, a lot of student loan debt. And this yeah. is something that, you know, back when I worked in academia, it was something that always bothered me was that every academic advisor had student loan brochures sitting out on the desk and, oh, hey, you know, you, you need money to complete your, your degree or, you know, don't work while you're, you're studying and, and working on, you know, this degree or that degree. And you've got people that are getting degrees. That's all good and well if, if you know, if you're in law school or if you're in medical school, if, you, if, if you're going yeah. into a profession that requires an advanced degree that you are going to do financially pretty well in. But somebody like me coming out of a social science degree where most of my, uh, the, the fellow students in my cohort, we're going to go into social work or working for NGOs or, or something like that where you're not making very much money. And you're already starting out behind. Yeah. And so then the, the argument becomes, well, you know, you, you get student loans. Well, now we just need student loan debt forgiveness and all this. And, and we've seen Biden start to, uh, you know, make moves in that direction. This has been kind of traditional left wing talking point of, of, you know, the education racket. 
where do you see the student loan debt bubble? Because I look at this and conceptualize it as this yeah. giant debt bubble that isn't, it, it's really the scariest one because there are no tangibles associated with it. Where do you see that factoring in? Yeah, well, now I'm just going to get pissed off. So yeah, now that, now that you're going to get I'm pissed sorry, off. I'm sorry, man. So, no, no, it's, it's, it needs to be said. So here, first off, this is the biggest illusion uh, and, and a trap that the government has ever set, set for you. So let's explain a couple things. First off, ho- hospital visit is so expensive and a surgery is so expensive for one reason and one reason only, because of health insurance. If there was no such thing as health insurance, right? Because everybody pays into health insurance. And then a few people go to the hospital. Well, because there's so much money behind that insurance uh, policy, the doctors in the hospital can charge insane amounts. And the insurance company pays it because everybody's paying for that one or a few people's surgeries, right? That is why over time, things get expensive, right? Um, very simply, the reason why cars are so expensive today is because of auto loans. As interest rates drop or and or terms for auto loans go from, you know, three years, five years, eight years. I've seen 15-year uh, loans for exotics, right? That causes, because of an expansion in credit and available money in both the healthcare and in cars, it causes those asset classes to explode. Doctor's visits as opposed to, and, and, and cars, right? The exact same thing is happening in, in colleges. Colleges would never get away with um, charging this much to go to school if it wasn't for the available credit available through these banks for student loan debts, all right? Because, hey, we're going to charge this much and we know you're going to pay it because all you got to do, because we're going to scare you into, you're never going to be a success unless you have a college degree, right? Never mind that my buddy is a welder making over almost a quarter of a million dollars right now as a welder without a degree, all right? But don't worry about him. Our society is teaching you that you can't get in. You can't even be, you can't even work retail in some places as a manager making $35,000 a year without your degree, right? That's because of the available debt. Now, I want to explain another thing. Student loan debt is the only thing that cannot be charged off in a bankruptcy. That is scary. People need to wake up. And this other crap that you're being told about, um, oh, we're going to sit around and, uh, sorry, do you have something to say? You, no, 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 no. I, I, okay. I was agreeing with you. They, okay. it, it, it's, it, it's bad news, especially for bankruptcies. Exactly. So, so the other thing too is, so it can't be charged off, right? You're there forever. And then the talking point, they, they lie to you, they deceive you. And they sit there and they go, we're thinking about doing it. And that's because we want you to vote for us again. This stupid conversation has been going on for the last 20 years. And it's used as a political kabuki theater. It's a, it, they're making you into pawns, all right? The other thing is, yes, they do charge off some debt. They make it look, and they'll put all the ads out there, oh, hey, we, we let this certain part of the public go. And always making you think they're dangling that carrot. For every 1% they forgive because of a special circumstance or a crash or a market correction, we got to do it or it's going to be worse. They add 99% more debt out there for this. This is an absolutely horrible scenario right now. I know someone, we are not friends anymore, uh, an academic that as a matter of fact, used to want to be called an academic. And I just laughed at the person. Couldn't rub two nickels together. Went out and got a doctorate. Runs a massive, uh, is the head of a huge college in a certain field. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to give away who it is. They literally make $70,000 a year now. The head, like they're the head. They still, after 20 years, can't afford to buy a house. 
It is absolutely, now they just bought a condo at the top of the market. That's going to be fun. And the it's somebody is else's fault, isn't it? Exactly. And they yep. esteem themselves so much and they're educated idiots. And people need to start calling a spade a spade. I've worked for lots of people with college degrees. They couldn't get, find their way out of their own checkbook because they're, they're lost. Their finances are complete meltdown. They could make five times as much as me and literally have five times less than me, right? And it's it just, it's just this insane thing. Now, hopefully I didn't really hurt some people's feelings, but I, I hope to wake you up because if you are in student loan debt, take it very serious because right. that is one thing you could get yourself in some serious, they have debtors prisons reopening right now. There was articles about it back in what, 2012, 2013. And what's yep. crazy is I'll give an example about the laws. In where I live in California, it is illegal in my county to have a garden that is over eight foot by eight foot squared. It's illegal. There's a law. Now, the fact is, there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law. Facts are, no one's going to get bust me for having a garden too big, but there will be a day where they could because the law's already written and nobody knows it, just like with these debtors' prisons. And people need to wake up to this. So I say that to take this very serious. Before you think about, hey, I might go get my master's. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, looking to, to run a large uh, hospital. You know, they already run a massive part, a C level executive. And they were thinking about going to get their master's so they could do this other job. And she just went, what am I doing? I'm going to go to two more, two more years of school to get this master's. I'm going to make X amount more, but my life is going to be miserable because I'm going to be so yeah. stressed. And I'm, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. you have to really contemplate what you are doing right now. It is more important that you understand that a dollar saved is a dollar earned over, I just need to go make another buck and my life's going to be better. That is a delusion. It is deceitful. And the government is at the top of that propaganda right now when it comes to uh, the education system. So sorry, I had to go off, but this stuff pisses me off. No, it, it does me too. And, and you know, your, your thoughts on it echoed mine over the years as well. I, I realized early on it, it, it was a, it was a zero sum game for the consumer and the banks, the lending brokerage houses, they are creating economic slavery by doing this. And, yes. and what it also does is, is that, you know, if, if we have these kids that are, that are coming out of, you know, a four year degree program in, in whatever, and we see that, you know, the, the rot in STEM and everything else that's out there. Um, you know, the, the institutional rod and all this woke stuff and, and, you know, the, the lowering of standards across the board as well. And now we have all these students that are coming out and their only answer is to blame everybody else, blame, blame capitalism, blame the free market. Their only answer is socialism of, of one type or another. Yeah. Real quick. What would you say to that? Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I've lost everything three times and it was all my fault. I was the moron. I was the idiot. And it wasn't until I did some self-reflection that I could heal and move on past it. And I, what I really learned is it all came down to emotion. I lost everything I had three times, saved up, built it up right in front of my wife. And it was a stock market. It was because I sold too soon because I got scared. It wasn't until I got into cryptocurrencies that I learned to tame my emotion because I don't know if you ever owned crypto. That'll smack you in the face real quick with the violent ups and downs, right? Because it's a new technology. And um, my thing is, is look, I'm not joking. I can't read, can't write. I, I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb in the box. And everyone like tells me, oh, come on, you're being too hard on yourself. 
I want to be very serious. Like I mispronounce words all the time, uh, but I learned to embrace it. I learned to be, and that's why I called my channel The Economic Ninja. I, I became that quiet one in the corner of the room and I never spoke unless I thought I was the subject matter expert in that room. And what I did is I turned on my ears and I listened and I focused and I learned and, and, and I just started grinding and making money. And, and even with the channel, and I, 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 this might sound like shameless self-promotion, but it's actually to, to encourage your audience. Started an economic channel and started, started talking about my background and my experience. And a year and a half later, we're one of the most watched YouTube channels in finance. Uh, we're, we're around three and a half million views a month. And it's not because of me. It's not because I'm fancy. I mean, if you, any of you guys see my channel, I'm just a dude with a brohawk and a dream and a McDonald's coffee sitting out in the weeds, right? Um, it's because you're not alone. Uh, I, if what I'm saying resonates with you in this interview, it's because you're not alone. You're not weird. And what should get you really excited is that if you have this ability to save, invest, be patient, be meek, when this crash happens, my goal is to watch a million people make a million dollars and then go bless the world, right? It's not about giving your money away. It's about teaching people the right way to treat each other, invest your money and get wealthy because the only way we could take this world back from these elite is that we become the elite. And I believe there's never a better time to grow wealth than in a crash. People always think all the time, oh, we're making money in the dot coms. Good, you're wiped out. See you later. Oh, we're making money in the real estate market in 2005. Yeah, good. You're wiped out. See you later. People, oh, look, I'm selling NFTs. I'm crushing it. Yeah, that's about to go bye-bye. Uh, where you make your real money is you buy all the assets from the idiots that thought that was the good time. You buy it from them when it's dirt cheap because they had to walk away from it. And I know that sounds harsh, but trust me, I've, I've warned and tried to help a thousand people before I ever started the YouTube channel, right? I have no sympathy for someone that rolls their eyes, will not listen, and goes driving away in their fancy BMW that they don't even own. Zero respect. So what I have respect for is people that try, people that care, people that want something better for themselves, their family, their community, and eventually their world, but they don't know how to put that into action. So that's what I wanted to start a year and a half ago. And meeting people like you has absolutely changed my life. And I, I want other brother. people to do that. Yeah, thank you. Amen. I'm fired up, dude. I mean, like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about, dude. I, oh, I love <laughs> it. I love it, man. You know, it, it, it's, it's great to hear people that are saying the same things, the same principles that, you know, I've talked about other people that I, I consider that, that have in common sense, have a brain have talked yeah. about and, and really, you know, have a common sense strategy for safeguarding yourself yeah. for, for uh, problems on the horizon. Brother, we're coming up on the 30 minute mark. I know you got to yeah. punch out here pretty quick. Any last things that you want to share with the, the Radio Contra audience, how we can find you, how we can follow you? Yeah, so I'll, I'll finish. Well, first off, I have a YouTube channel. I'm all over the internet. Um, I'm on just about every platform, but uh, YouTube is the biggest. And, and I like people going to the YouTube channel, check it out, because uh, that is the voice. The more people that subscribe, the more people that like and comment, what happens is that algo pushes it out, right? And every day we're meeting people. Uh, we had one gentleman that went from, literally about to commit suicide he said and this was when the channel first started and he was broke found my videos started watching them over the course of a weekend and a year later has uh ten thousand dollars in his bank account does not want to kill himself 
and has a whole new lease on life because people say, I, I don't know why <laughs> I tend to take really bad news and, and spin it positively. You know, like I hope I did now, but I want to close with this. If you want to start somewhere, it's very simple. If you've never bought a silver coin, I want you to go buy a silver coin. This is financial advice because if somebody wants to sue me over telling you to go buy something that costs 35 bucks, you got bigger problems in your life. If all of a sudden it goes down by half and you've lost 15 bucks. But what'll happen is, and I always tell people actually buy two and I want you to clang them together. I want you to hold them in your hand and I want you to do some research on what, why the book, The Wizard of Oz was actually written. It was written about an event, uh, the crime of 1873, when the silver was demonetized. And uh, what happened to our money system, our monetary system? And then look at silver and gold and look at what happens in times of crisis. Like when uh, silver went from what, $2 to uh, $50, in the late 70s to early 80s, or gold went from, was it 50 bucks, let's say, to $800, right? What's happening is this world is missing out on the ability to gain wealth. And I always say, or if you can't afford, you know, $50 in silver, then you go buy, or $60, you go buy two silver dimes that were dated from 1964 and under, right? And you just touch them and clang them together and then, and then take some fake dimes and clang those together. And, and then ask yourself, why did nickel explode 1200%? No, I think it was even more than 1200% this year, right? Yeah. What's going on with the world's uh, commodities? And, and why do so few people own this? And you could hold those in your hand and go, you know what's crazy? I'm now part of the one-tenth of 1% 1 in America because less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of Americans hold any physical silver coins. And now you own it. There's no counterparty risk. You actually have it in your hand. And I want to tell you, that's where you start. It sounds funny. You start right there. And what will happen? It will change you. Your mindset will start to change. Go check out like my buddies at Wall Street Silver on Reddit or you know, find some other good YouTube channels. People that are taking wealth and building wealth, not building debt. I don't care how much your house is worth over what you owe on it. I don't care that your pickup truck is worth more than you're paid for it, but you don't own it. You own nothing. I want you to go from a debt slave to a wealthy, sovereign human being and then I want you to go and help other people. And I'm telling you, you will live your greatest life by helping people. You will find more fulfillment and satisfaction. You will attract better human beings, better um, significant others, better friends. You will have everything at the palm of your hands when you turn from a debt slave to a person of means that helps other human beings. I'm telling you, your life will explode. In my life, for the last year and a half, say without crying, has absolutely exploded because I finally said, I'm going to stand up and I am going to be that voice. And, and, and I am going to attract more humans that are amazing. And I'm telling you, if the last presidential election, last couple of elections teach you anything, it's that the silent majority is the majority, but they're silent. And I'm sick and tired of it. And I want us to start standing up, but in a good, positive way by helping people. Amen, brother. Oh, love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's thanks, man. Such a oh man, it, it it it's it's cathartic, riveting, and motivating all at the same time. Thank you. Hear somebody say the, the the same, the exact same things with the same fire, the passion, the conviction. You know that 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 you know I have that feeling deep down, and and being able to, and, and that's why I do what I do, and yeah. and 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 have and interacting with other people that have that same motivation 
Because yeah. we're going to save this nation. We're going to save it from the economic hell that is going to be wrought upon it because we're helping Amen. people one piece at a time. You know, something you Amen. said, taking, taking the elites down by making ourselves the elites, figuring out. How they, there's, there's not some, some magic hand behind the scenes is controlling everything. It's just people who have built themselves and they've, they've created that, that power structure for themselves. And you, and we yeah. can do that too. We can absolutely Amen. do that too. I complete, it's a financial revival is what I call it. That's what's coming. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, economic ninja brother, it has been an absolute honor. I know you got to punch out. It's been an absolute yep. honor to have you on man. It, and um, for anybody who, who is interested in learning a whole lot more YouTube, Reddit, everywhere else, he is, he, he, it's, it's pretty easy to find. Just search Economic Ninja, and you're going to find him. Buku amount of incredible economic knowledge, advice out there. And, brother, thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you so much. Seriously, it's been a total blessing. Yeah, brother. All right. Folks, get out there. Get to it. Do not despair. Heed the warning prepare yourselves. God bless. And I'll talk to all of you again very soon. This is NC Scout out. Back away!